Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Episode 191, recorded for the December 7th, 2022, the Cloud Pod reinvents the recap show. Good evening, Ryan, Jonathan, and Peter. How's it going? Good, Justin. Hey. How are you? Yeah, good. It's going well. I uh, I survived my reinvent. How about you? I know Peter. We had you on on the ground doing interviews, doing all kinds of craziness. Did we keep you busy? I made it. I made it through. Nice. Well, because uh, we were a little little short on on the ground reporting, I felt like Ryan, Jonathan, and I, since we were live streaming here from the house, uh, you know, through the show, and a lot of you guys joined us for our live stream uh, of the keynotes, and you heard our some of our real time feedback. Uh, you know, you probably want to hear more about reInvent. And so Joe Daly is here to join us from the FinOps Foundation. Uh, he's talking about his new podcast here in a minute. But, uh, you know, he was on site in reInvent as well. And so I felt he could add a little additional color to what we thought all saw from home uh, to kind of balance out Peter just a little bit. So, Joe, you want to introduce yourself? Hi, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm assuming your demographic matches that. Um, my name is Joseph Daly. You can call me Joe. I'm very friendly. I am the director of community for the FinOps Foundation. I am so pleased to be here with you today. Welcome. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah. So new face, new voice for the show this week. Uh, well, it was, of course, reInvent. Uh, and it was a reInvent. <laughs> so, But we had some news get dropped before the show. So let's go through our pre-invent stuff. And then uh, we'll talk about how the show went in general and, and dive into some news. So up uh, first, the AWS pricing calculator is now supporting modernization cost estimates for Microsoft workloads. Calculator, you can estimate the cost of modernizing your Microsoft workload to a new architecture that uses open source software and cloud native services on the cloud. This will help you reduce your total cost of ownership, eliminate software licensing management, and increase developer productivity. And none of those three things are should be in the same sentence as Windows, but there they are. <laughs> <laughs> Any pot shot. <laughs> yeah, it really shows you what their target is, right? For for adopting new cloud workloads. Like, all right, Microsoft stragglers, yep. let's go. Yeah, the Microsoft guys uh, continue to uh, you know be annoying on the licensing side. So yeah, everyone wants to reduce their TCO for Microsoft licensing. But it's hard. I think it's only fair, especially as Microsoft's changed the, the terms of licenses, so it's much cheaper to, to run in, in Azure Cloud than it is in AWS or GCP anymore with Microsoft workloads. So it's. Yeah. I just see this as a new way for. It's just a new group unlocks a new group of people to get angry at anyone trying to estimate the cost of cloud. Just now, <laughs> you used to ignore the Windows users. Now you can really upset upset the Windows team too. Yeah, that's very true. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how people do what to do with that technology here in the future. Uh, well, AWS has apparently decided that uh, you know if you were not happy with any of the Docker alternatives that are out there uh, for Mac in particular, uh, or you didn't want to pay Docker's ridiculous licensing fees for a client app to dev Docker containers, that they were going to come out with their own open source project called Finch. Uh, Finch is a new command line client for building, running, and building Linux containers. It provides for a simple installation of Mac OS native client, along with a curated set of de facto standard open source components, including Lima, NerdCTL, ContainerD, and BuildKit. With Finch, you can create, run locally, and build and publish uh, OCI container images, not the Oracle Cloud, but the other one, Open Compute Industry <laughs> Initiative. Uh, the first version <laughs> only supports Mac, but plans are in place to expand it to other platforms in the future. Now, I've, I've been a big fan of Podman personally as my replacement mm-hmm. for Docker. Um, so I don't know that I needed this, and I don't really know why AWS felt this needed to exist in the world, but here we go. 
Yeah, I've been using Podman since Docker announced the changes. And so I'll try this out just, you know, just to see what if it's got advantages over Podman. I can tell you that typing Finch into my command line is not easier because I keep trying to spell it Flinch, but uh, <laughs> that's my muscle memory. Yeah. Not Fletch. Yeah, I have a lot of aliases that should reduce down to three characters because my typing's too inconsistent. <laughs> I think the nice thing about it is that it's going to be compatible with um, the the previous Docker tooling, and so all those tutorials that go back for for ten years, you can pretty much copy paste those things in and just switch Docker for, for, for Finch, and and it'll work. Um, as they always did. And then just alias Docker. Yeah, that too. Right. <laughs> one, less, one, one more letter, but I'll let you have it. Your scripts will work too. Uh, well, we talked about the Switzerland region, and then we talked about uh, another Spain region, and now there's a new Indian region uh, in Hyderabad, Asia Pacific. Uh, AP South 2 is now open, uh, meaning they someone had to get all of their regions out before reInvent to hit their performance reviews this year. And so they did that uh, and got all three regions out there. So now they have 32 regions globally uh, in the world for your, spending all your monies very quickly. I mean, more diversity globally is great. I can't, you know, more regions, the better just to get the, you know, whatever your workload is closer to your customers or closer to whoever's using it. So. It's going to be much more user-friendly for people using um, VDI-type services to, to have it local instead of trying to promote something on the other side of the world. It's been a terrible uh, user experience for developers trying to work on yeah. virtual and, workstations. And then data sovereignty is always going to be a thing. So multiple regions within a country or region is going to be fantastic. Yep. Uh, so we talked about AWS Backup many, many times here on the show. Uh, especially as it's kind of rolling out across all of the different services. And one of the big things we always talked about is that, you know, it, it sort of is kind of a weird bolt-on to most services. Uh, and so they gave us the bolt-on of bolt-ons. They'll now let you point <laughs> AWS backup at your CloudFormation stack, and it'll automatically backup anything that's in your CloudFormation stack set. Uh, so now it automatically oh. will determine all the stateful components supported by AWS backup, and it'll automatically back those up. Uh, all the backup will include the stateless resource in the stack, such as the IAM roles, Amazon VPC security groups, and all of the EC2 and database assets. In case of recovery, you don't need to mix automated tools with custom scripts and manual activities to recover, but put the whole application stack back together with a click of a button. That's a super nice compliance control, really. Yeah. Well, I wonder, right? Like, you know, so so often your DR plan's not enacted, and when it is, it's it's either partially functional or non-functional. And so, like with CloudFormation as sort of this orchestration behind it, I'm really curious to see if you could, you know, quickly fail to and from DRs using that same orchestration that you use for de- initial deployments and and maintenance. So that's it might be if it doesn't do it today, it's definitely a building block towards that direction. So it'd be pretty cool. So you're predicting the AWS restore service for next year? I mean, I hope so. <laughs> There's more things for simple people like me to delete. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then our final pre-invent story uh, ECS Service Connect is a new capability that simplifies building and operating resilient distributed applications ECS Service Connect provides an easy network setup and seamless service communication deployed across multiple ECS clusters and VPCs and with ECS Service Connect you can refer and connect to your service by logical names using a namespace provided by AWS Cloud Map which is this is the first excuse to make sure you make me use Cloud Map uh, you can set some safety faults for traffic resilience, such as health checking, automatic retries for 503 errors, and connection draining for each of your ECS services. Yeah, this is what everyone thought CloudMap was when they announced yeah. CloudMap. 
right? And, and how this didn't make the the main stage at reInvent confuses me because the the container community has only been like screaming for this for mm-hmm. years. So that's how. And the fact that it it spans VPCs as well is that's, is amazing. That's the killer right there because that is that is really important to diversify your workloads and and have that. And so that that was my favorite part of that feature. Yeah, I mean, it gets, rid, it gets rid of the need for, for the transit gateway or lots of peerings or anything else because we've overlaid that the service network on top of everything else. I'm not sure. I think you might have to still provide the transit routing through transit gateway when this is just targeting on top of that. But, but having targeting is, I mean, that's what everyone wanted with service mesh. And then they had, they had talked a couple of reinvents mm-hmm. about building out more of an AWS service mesh. And they, they released something, I believe, if I recall right, but I don't think a lot of people adopted it because it was a little bit confusing how they tried to deploy it. So it's good to see uh, an actual service connect type capability. So we'll see if it works. But uh, you know, some of the reinvent announcements we ta- we're going to talk about a little bit here um, can get really interesting really quickly. So, all right. Well, that moves us out of the pre-invent stage right into reinvent. And um, so I want to take a few minutes to talk about reinvent in general. <laughs> I think um, so. For those of you who went to reInvent, uh, hopefully you're not home with COVID right now because it was a super spreader event from everybody I see on Twitter uh, with lots of people coming down with sickness. So hopefully you're feeling well. But uh, you know, overall, I thought you know, on Sunday, because we weren't going, uh, at least most of us, that I was, I was feeling some FOMO as people were starting to talk on Twitter about meeting up and doing stuff and, and all that. And then when I got through Adam's keynote on Tuesday, I was glad I wasn't there. <laughs> So that was that was my uh, that was my transition for the week. Uh, I don't know how you guys felt. I'm curious what your take on the on the ground really was, Joe and Peter, uh, first, and then you know we'll talk about it from being a home experience. I think this Sunday night, yeah, I arrived Sunday morning, thinking, uh, and, and as soon as I arrived Sunday morning, I realized, oh yeah, Sunday morning is way too early to get here. Um, and then as people started rolling in in the evening. That's when serendipity happened. That's the best part of reInvent is the serendipity of who you run into in the hallways and, and meet up with again. Um, so, yeah, there's there was definitely an adrenaline high from that. Uh, but then it wore off as the week went on. Um, the most exciting part of uh, Andy Slipsky's keynote is I accidentally got trapped. I got locked into a bathroom. And I couldn't figure out how to get out of it. So oh, I missed no. the first half hour. But after that, it was just the buildups were amazing um, for really niche uh, products and services. But it, it just left me wondering who is the target market of reInvent now? Yeah, I thought uh, just getting down there first, it was like more of the same. And, you know, for people, I can imagine for people who haven't been to every single reInvent, it was still a pretty dynamic and uh, interesting event. It gets tough after you've been there and seen all of them. Um, but yeah, it feels like now it's, you know, it, this kind of reminds me of the whole change in their UI that went from sort of catalog to search bar. Uh, there's so much now to talk about that there's no way for a keynote to cover everything and go deep into anything. Um, and so to me, that audience is really the people who haven't been to that many reinvents. And people who are really excited to just learn anything they can about AWS, not necessarily the grisly old veterans like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was there was a lot of energy from the people who were there for the first time. Um, yeah, and that's it's it's lovely. It's it's lovely to see. 
in as you watch them do bad ideas uh, that they'll <laughs> they'll regret later. But you know they'll learn. And uh, yeah, it's just you know you you don't want to become a hardened skeptical uh, veteran of reinvents, but it happens to the best of us. And uh, yeah, I was just like, oh, this they didn't drive a truck out this time onto the stage, and you know it's it's it, I think it's a different reinvent and. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's not. I don't know. We'll find out. I mean, I so from the at home experience, I and again, not being there, so you don't have the energy of being there. But you know what they presented on keynote, it felt very much like a summit plus plus. <laughs> and I think if if you know if you're the summit was really great if you've never been exposed to cloud before and you were trying to get exposed to AWS, you're trying to understand it. You got a lot of really great one on one classes, and reinvent was always kind of like the three hundred one four hundred one level classes, and you got you know, you always got a master class from Werner. You got you know some really great, cool announcements of really cool, innovative things you might be thinking about doing for your organization, and then you you know you had the social hour and all that. It just it didn't feel that way this year. Everything felt a bit more. I think I think we even said this for Google more evolutionary than innovative. You know, nothing revolutionary really came out of out of the mix. Um, some cool things, and we'll talk about those in a minute here. But um, overall, I think that home viewing side of it, like it was kind of boring. I enjoyed Peter Santos's keynote. I think I'd kind of rank him first, followed by Werner, followed by uh, Adam, followed by uh, I'm not going to try and pronounce his name. I'm sorry, Siva, Subramanian. Um, <laughs> but I, I kind of get tired of the the, the same 15 minute intro for everything, which is you know this is the benefits of cloud and infinite scaling and and uh, oh, it's definitely much less expensive, which which we all know isn't really the reality. Um, but yeah, it's it's a strange. You're right though about the audience. To the audiences, a lot of these product announcements were very much targeted at massive enterprises like Novartis, for example, in the pharma industry. Not not at uh, not at startups, which is where AWS came from originally. Um, it's a, it's yeah, it's strange to to think that they're trying to drive excitement in their in their ecosystem by talking about things which you know ninety five percent of the, of the, the users the platform and never going to touch yeah yeah as my my background as a finops practitioner right i was i'm i'm the guy yelling at all the engineers to to uh, just please give me a tag um <laughs> but like after every reinvent i would come back and i would have a lot of good ideas like hey we're gonna do this we're gonna do that um i remember the the euphoria of GP3, and as I slowly came to realize, I would never realize any of the GP3, the GP2 to GP3 savings. Um, there's, <laughs> there's, there was nothing. I was trying to watch. I was like, what would I, what would I take out of this reinvent as a FinOps practitioner? Um, and it, the, basically, my overall take of it is that all these, all the advancements in the space of of that, my primary interest is FinOps and then the ancillary, very close green ops. Um, it's all going to be community driven. It's not going to be led by the cloud service providers or the vendors. It's going to be led by the community driving, um, figuring it out as we go along, which is exactly what we did with FinOps. Yeah. Agreed. And, it, you know, especially, I'll talk about this when we get through uh, Adam's keynote, but, uh, you know, just the lack of FinOps in light of what's right now a tech recession. Uh, that may turn into a full economic recession, and and to not highlight cost savings and cost opportunities and saving you money, sort of, um, you know, is still surprising to me. And I think that's, the, you know, just the missed opportunity of not being able to talk to that market. 
Um, and I think I was talking to to Rob Martin, who you know hangs out with us quite a bit on our Slack channel. You know, he was mentioning. Um, you know, it was like he wanted to say FinOps, but he he just never quite said it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, Rob Rob is Rob is so much smarter than me, so I like to stand next to him. Uh, he's he's right. I I just I was I kept expecting like you're talking about the Antarctic and people dying. And this is totally a FinOps analogy. I didn't, I couldn't make it, but I knew he was going to like, like thread the needle for me. And it was for, was that was, that was for Onyx. Mm -hmm. It was, I was like, why are you addressing a niche market when you have this topic that is on a hundred percent of your audience's mind? Um, and, and so that it was just a missed opportunity. Uh, very sad missed opportunity for me. I think this is a shortcoming of Amazon's sort of customer focus and extreme customer focus, right? Because now their customers are huge enterprises and, um, you know, enterprises may be operating in those niche markets and have deep pockets and, and, and a lot of needs. And so what their, you know, product delivery is are a lot of those features, you know, which is for the people operating in the cloud. And, and you know, maybe that's not, you know, like I wasn't interested by a whole lot. All my favorite announcements happened, you know, either right before or kind of buried in blog posts after the fact. So it was, it's, it is sort of interesting to see, see them sort of struggle with that and be on the other side of that. Yeah. It was so much easier though, to have innovative solutions before say you were able to uh, have EBS backed instances. Like, there was so much ground to cover, right? There was so much <laughs> me too catch up to what VMware offered in the data center that every, and I remember, I don't know if it was like the fourth or fifth reInvent, um, when Warner Vogel's big announcement was that RDS was uh, going to include Postgres. And the entire room stood up, standing applause. <laughs> and that's pretty cool, but I mean, it's like, well, I think the expectations are higher now. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I have that. I have a, such a similar story. I walk into some giant room and Warner Vogels announces Lambda now supports Ruby. And the guy standing next to me has a meltdown. <laughs> and I just, I said, I'm done here. I, I don't think this is for me anymore. <laughs> I remember that announcement. That was it was like five years, you know, like years too late <laughs> for the Ruby thing. And it was <laughs> not yeah. too late for me. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into some of the, the keynotes. Uh, so first up is Peter DeSantis's keynote, as Jonathan just uh, gave you the he's report he thought was the best of them. Uh, and I it was definitely one of the more interesting ones because it gets into more of the nitty gritty of, of data center technology and infrastructure. Uh, there's three announcements that he made, uh, plus a couple HPC announcements and some other things that aren't really products, but there are things that like a, a new Nitro capability um, that doesn't really benefit us per se that we're going to go you know to provision Nitro, but we get benefit of it from the things it enables. Uh, and so we'll talk about it enables here in a minute. But the first one, uh, he spent a lot of time talking about the problem of Lambda and cold starts. And he really explained why cold starts happen inside of the AWS ecosystem and what they've been doing to try to improve them. And then he basically said, you know, we can snapshot uh, the startup process and basically simplify it so you can you don't have to go through the long initialization of the application tier. 
Uh, and then they, they gave you a really cool way to basically protect yourselves from, you know, secrets being, uh, secret keys basically being reused for multiple Lambda functions. And all of that was really great. And we were all really excited on the live stream. And then when we saw the press release, we landed, found out it's only limited to Java. And all of our <laughs> hopes and dreams died horrible deaths. <laughs> Uh, but yes, Lambda Snapstart <laughs> is a performance optimization that makes it easier to build highly responsive and scalable Java apps using AWS Lambda, but provision resources or spend time and effort implementing complex performance optimizations. And why I get why it's for Java first, because Amazon is, lives on Java. Uh, no one else in the startup community wants it to be on Java first. So this is one of those areas where they don't listen to their customers, because if they had done this with Python and Java, I think they would have had people ecstatic. Instead, they went with Java only, and now we're all sad and disappointed. I see this as going after, you know, workloads that are only for containers. And I think that Java very quickly gets painted into that corner, right, because of that initialization. And so this is really an enablement there. But again, you know, this is, these are companies with, you know, established, you know, deep code bases that it's all on Java where the investment of pivoting that language to another language that's more optimized for that just isn't there. So Amazon's bringing the workload to the language. It's great. Just don't have any need for it. You know, I think it's just where customers will feel the most benefit. So it made sense that they went with Java first. Uh, next was a uh, new Nitro card. The new Nitro card uh, supports 200 gigabits of networking throughput, uh, a new 50% higher packet processing performance compared to the previous uh, type of instances. Uh, and then Nitro card enables the new EC2, C7G in instance, as well as a new uh, couple of new HVC cards we're not going to talk about today. Uh, and that is basically now in preview for you. Uh, so if you're looking for the latest and greatest Intel processor and Graviton processors are all powered now by the new Graviton chip and the new Graviton capabilities that they gave to you. Uh, they also have a new elastic network adapter you can attach to uh, these new instance types. The new NA Express for Amazon EC2 uh, basically gives you the ability to deliver enhanced networking experiences. ENA Express works to improve network performance through higher single flow bandwidth and lower tail latency for network traffic between Amazon EC2 instances. So these are pretty big improvements for networking throughput if you need have that demand for super high network throughput, uh, for like HVC workloads, etc. Many of us will not get benefit of those, but the C7G and some of the new instances around Graviton and Intel on the C7 family will be much appreciated by many of us as those are very common instance types. He also announced a new Graviton E chip, uh, which is why I win the predictions later on. But uh, the Graviton <laughs> E is a 30% improvement over the current Graviton chip. Uh, and since they announced that, I, I got the point there. So I'll take it. And I guess if you're paying $20,000 uh, a month plus for a, for a server for HPC or machine learning, the faster the network gets out of the way and you can move that data around, the faster you can shut that thing down again. And the sooner they can resell that same piece of hardware to somebody else to consume those other managed services like SageMaker or, or whatever. So, so these are the statistics that make you know reinvent very you know my you know my favorite right because you can't it is not typical to operate at that scale where you need this kind of throughput right you have to be someone like Amazon to develop this um, otherwise it just doesn't make sense and so like it's it's kind of neat to see yeah like I'll never ever you know touch this hopefully i've done something wrong <laughs> if i have probably um but you know it's neat that, that they can operate at such scale and i kind of nerd out about some of the statistics for for how fast they can process some of these things it's pretty cool a lot of these graviton announcements and, and other instances i just think back from i mean my old 
conservative corporate enterprise days. I mean, they a lot of those enterprises have trouble adopting Graviton because they have security tooling gaps. So just announcements like this where they continue to advance it, it just makes your tech debt and tool debt more expensive. Uh, yeah, the Graviton gap is uh, there's definitely there for some of the tooling. Uh, I've seen a lot of the vendors now catch up on it pretty uh, pretty aggressively recently, but it take a while. So that that is an issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, most most yeah. big enterprises, their big issue is that they have crappy old apps that don't compile at runtime. <laughs> That's the bigger issue. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, there we are. All right, let's move on to Adam's keynote. Uh, so Tuesday morning, Adam, bright and early, 8.30 in the morning. Uh, you know, compared to last year, I think Adam did a little bit better in the polish. He was a little less nervous, which, you know, to be able to speak to a room full of, you know, 30,000 of your best friends uh, is, uh, you know, is nerve-wracking. But, uh, you know, he did with the same format he kind of had last year. So he he goes on these very long, like last year he did history stuff. This year it was around, you know, like four different themes. We mentioned Antarctica earlier. As one of those, there's a couple others around uh, different things. And, you know, they were kind of long and meandering intros and then kind of like, here's what we're announcing. And you're like, okay, <laughs> not very exciting. <laughs> uh, so first up in his announcements uh, was the AWS Clean Rooms. Uh, Clean Rooms are a new analytics service that helps companies across industries easily and securely analyze and collaborate on their combined data sets without sharing or revealing underlying data. With AWS CleanRooms, customers can create a secure data clean room in minutes and collaborate with any other company in the AWS cloud to generate unique insights about advertising campaigns, investment decisions, clinical research, and more. Uh, this new capability provides a built-in data access control that protects sensitive data, including query controls, query output restrictions, query logging, and cryptographic computing tools. Uh, this is a very competitive tool to uh, announce what they made about six months ago with Snowflake. <laughs> so they, again, continue to hate Snowflake in all the right ways. Uh, and I'll offer you a new clean room <laughs> capability similar to what you could have got with Snowflake prior to this. You guys are stunned. I see the clean I see clean rooms got you yep. guys excited. Yeah. Clean room. Mm-hmm. Uh, clean he then room. got very nervously close to talking about the metaverse, and we were all cringing on the live stream. <laughs> uh, but actually he announced AWS SimSpace Weaver, which is a, a service that should just play the Sims, but it does not. Uh, it runs large-scale spatial <laughs> simulations in the cloud. SimSpace Weaver is a fully managed compute service that helps customers build, operate, and oversee large-scale spatial simulations by emulating the complexity of the physical environment so customers can explore how different scenarios may respond to expected or unexpected changes in the world. Fault tolerance for manufacturing. Perfect. I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, that was one of my uh, interviews for the podcast. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so Peter uh, is is taking a crack at TCP Talks uh, with two interviews he did at Reinvent. So we're going to publish those here in the next few weeks uh, once we have a chance to get those edited. But yeah, uh, hear all about SimSpace Weaver and what they're doing uh, in Peter's uh, TCP Talks episode. Yeah, I didn't even know it was going to be a TCP Talk. There you go. <laughs> uh, next up, he talked about Open Search Serverless. Uh, we talked, I think, on the prediction show that Open Search Serverless was probably a likely. Likely thing, but we also were not willing to take that bet. <laughs> so uh, Adam announced the preview release <laughs> of a new serverless option for ser- open search service that makes it easy for customers to run large-scale search analytics workloads without managing clusters. Automatically um, provisions and scales underlying resources deliver fast data ingestion and query responses for even the most demanding and unpredictable workloads. Now, I want to tell you this says serverless, but it is not serverless because it has a minimum of four servers required, which is a minimum spend of seven hundred dollars. <laughs> Per month, <laughs> that's server full. Yeah, so this is not scaled to zero. Uh, this does cost you at least four nodes, uh, two masters, and two uh, indexer servers. 
Uh, and that'll cost you a low, low cost of $700 because you can't use the T-series or any of the really micro boxes. So my friend who has an open source cluster, cluster that I helped maintain for him, uh, you know, I was thinking this might be great for him. And then I saw the pricing and I said, nope, not for him because his current cluster only cost me about $100 a month. Uh, and this would cost about seven times that amount. Remember when we used to call this auto scaling? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I really don't like this overloading of the term serverless. I wish they would just call it managed or, or elastic or uh, anything other than serverless. <laughs> I wonder if they painted themselves in a corner. They can't call it elastic open search because it's too well, close. I think, probably because of the lawsuit with, a la- with, a, no, with elastic, no, they probably that can't. You know, probably that is confusion in the market. They don't want to get into more lawsuits with elastic search. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's definitely annoying, and I wish they come up with a different name. Um, yeah, because I think I would love this announcement, except for what it's called. And it's just like, wait, this isn't that much different <laughs> yeah. than what I, mean, I had. I don't like the pricing, but I, <laughs> yeah. So if the name was better, I would like it. I'd hate it less. So yeah, I don't think I don't think moving from choosing a, a node type and then a counter nodes to this arbitrary ECU unit, which is actually just a, a number of vCPUs and some RAM. Is just a fraction of a server anyway, so I don't I don't think that's what they mean. I think it's more about Elasticsearch in general is just a, is just a real pain to add and remove nodes to. And, yeah, uh, but they solved all those problems with the open search managed service anyway. Like this isn't really like scaling a cluster. Like that was that's an API call and it just did it right. See, like, I, I really want to sign up for Preview because they're making some claims, and I'm wondering if if there's there's more to more to the service than just managing node counts for you. Mm. Because you know we all know that you, you can't just continue to pump tons of data into an index if it doesn't have enough shards. You can add more shards, but that requires offline maintenance. You can add more nodes, but they're not used unless you add more shards as well. So there's lots of lots of weird constraints with with, with um, Open Search and, and Elasticsearch, which which makes me kind of question the you know even even the most demanding and unpredictable workloads. That's certainly not what I would throw at Elasticsearch as a service. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, because if they don't, if they don't automatically manage the data within the shards and 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 move that stuff around, like you can have as many nodes as you want, but that server is going to just cost you a bunch of money and still not answer you. So yeah, so I'm, I want to sign up and then get more details on what they're actually doing under the hood because I, I think it's there must be more to it than just node management. Yeah. Your optimism. I know. Maybe what it is today. I would say, but then by the time you get out of preview, maybe it's something more. But right now, it's just just node management. I think is what you're getting. Uh, well, one of the most annoying uh, differentiators between Google Cloud and AWS is the fact that Google uses a shared storage system in the back end, so you can attach multiple applications to the same data set without having to move the data between the services. Amazon heard. You don't have to move the data between the services and thought that's what people want. And so they gave you a new capability which automatically moves the data between Aurora and Redshift and Redshift integration with Apache Spark so you can use uh, that to now query the data. Uh, now, unfortunately, this still means you're still copying the data multiple times and storing it three times to do this properly because to use Spark, it has to be in S3. Uh, for it to be in Redshift, it has to be in Redshift and Aurora. So they didn't quite get the memo of what Google has that's better than them, but they tried. So A plus for effort. Uh, I (laughs) appreciate the effort. And again, this is toil that uh, every time you made me go into the Glue console to try to make a connection between Aurora and Redshift, I cursed you. And when I had to do it from Redshift to Apache Spark or to S3, uh, I was also annoyed. But, uh, you know, overall, I appreciate the effort, but they're missing the memo that I really don't want to pay for that storage multiple times. So can fix that problem for me and then we'll be super happy. Yeah. That said, as much as I hate no code and low code, I love zero ETL. 
<laughs> I don't know. One of the first use cases I had for no code was trying to configure an ETL pipeline. So like, I think I still, I still hate no code and yeah. I hate ETL. <laughs> oh, zero ETL. You hate zero ETL. No, I love zero ETL. Yeah. Like, I'm all for that. I, mean, I think glue in general just makes you hate ETL glue. That's glue's job. It really is. It. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It's so crazy because that's what its job is supposed to make you love it, right? It's supposed to be like, oh, it took it, made it so much easier. Turns out garbage data is garbage data, no matter what you yeah. do to it. Uh, and what has to be the best named announcement of all of reInvent, uh, Amazon Data Zone, which is just a great parody of Danger Zone. Amazon Data Zone is yep. a new data management service that makes it faster and easier for customers to catalog, discover, share, and govern data stored across AWS, on premise, and third party sources. With Amazon Data Zone, administrators and data stewards who oversee an organization's data assets can manage and govern access to data. Uh, this is just metadata collection for your data. This existed in Google for a while. I'm glad to see AWS finally catching up on this one because it's been a big missing hole in their data strategy for quite a while. And if this fed into FinOps data, it'd be even better. But I know uh, they did not mention anything about FinOps in this particular announcement. But this would be a perfect spot. You could say, hey, the Data Zone helps you find all that data and then help you figure out how much it costs. Then all you got to do is say is, and FinOps. And it fits perfect. <laughs> perfectly. Yeah, I, I, when I heard this, I was like, oh, finally an announcement for someone who's about my equivalent in the data space. Yep. Just like, oh, here's something for the people you don't want to break anything. Give them this. Let them get the, what they need. It's like, oh, I felt spoken to. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> Uh, then Adam gets to talk about QuickSight, which is hilarious to me every time he talks about QuickSight because all I can think about is when he got there from Tableau and he saw QuickSight, he was like, what is this? Like, are you fools? Like, so QuickSight has gotten a bunch of features, uh, including ability apparently support for forecasts and why questions in Amazon QuickSight Q, which also would have been a great FinOps thing. Why is my bill so expensive? Uh, automated data mm-hmm. preparation for QuickSight's Q. Paginated reporting built for the cloud, whatever that means. Simple and fast analysis for data, large data sets and faster programmatic migration to the cloud for QuickSight. Uh, so if you're looking for an inferior solution to Looker or Power BI or Tableau, QuickSight Q might be the right answer for you. <laughs> so I can answer the paginated reporting built for the cloud just because I, having formerly used QuickSight, once you get um, above a certain number of rows... Um, display in your QuickSight reports, it's useless. It just stops working. Which is what everyone does with a with a cur report. They put the cur into the, the QuickSight, fr- and then it can't read it because it yeah it doesn't paginate properly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then his final announcement uh, is another lake because we didn't have enough. You know, you have your data lake, you have your health lake, but now you have your security lake because again, you already have this data in CloudTrail and Security Hub and all these places. We want you to move all that data now to the new security lake which is a new fully managed service and preview that automatically centralizes an organization's security data from cloud and on-premises sources into a purpose-built data lake, enabling customers to analyze and respond to security risks across their entire organization much faster, reducing the time to do so from weeks to hours and costing you a whole lot more money to run all those Spark jobs to find your security needs. People often used to export all their CloudTrail data and analyze it elsewhere anyway, though. So, I mean, CloudTrail is like a hole for, for the API um, events and things, but it, in, in itself, it doesn't really provide much in the way of search capabilities or reporting capabilities. So I'd be happy to not pay to store it in CloudTrail for more than seven days or something and, and ship it off to somewhere where at least I can use the data. Well, you've been able to ship that to S3, which you can't get cheaper storage than that for a long time now. But then searching, you know, it wasn't until Athena came along that you could actually do anything yeah. with that. I, I'm bothered by 
this deviation, like HealthLake makes sense to me because of PII and PHI data that you have to be protecting in, in HealthLake. Security Lake just feels like a money grab because I already had, like you said, you're already putting it into S3. You already had the ability to do Athena. You already had stuff to do it. So now we're now you can tell your security people, like, no, just go put it into a security lake so you can pay for it again and then hopefully figure out how to use this data for value. And so I, I don't, so as much as I like verticalization of the cloud and I like specialty services for cloud, this I don't like because I think this is unnecessary and it's not really anything more than just packaging and not really adding any value. Well, I disagree. Because with oh. the with well, well, now we have the open cybersecurity schema framework, which Amazon are helping drive, and all the security tools will eventually be forced to kind of converge to use a common schema. You keep it all in the same data lake, and that provides you much easier access to aggregate data and, and run queries across multiple different sources. Yeah, but now I but if I'm putting my business data into another data lake, and I want to use the business data to inform my security data. I now have to cross the lakes to even make this connection to get that data set. So I agree with you on a pure security basis and the open schema for security data is really great. My issue is that you're putting borders around these lakes when you really want to bring the data together and be able to, to hydrate across that. That's why we have Enterprise Data Week, Enterprise Data Warehouse. That's why we have all these things is to bring this data together, add context to data. And I feel like this is just more removing context. So I I agree with you, except for I, the customers of this want those gates, right? Like security professionals, the industry, what they want their own little isolated thing that they can do. I've never worked at a company where like, yeah, no, put all the data there. We'll run analytics across the whole thing. We'll use it. Nor have I worked with security teams that are like, yeah, no, you have all these API data. Why don't we just use that to do our forensic analysis? No, they want their own security thing, their own little island where no one else can touch it because they feel like data exfiltration and, and horizontal attack vectors are, are too important and this is too valuable, so we have to lock it down. So I, don't, I think the customers want this, even though they probably shouldn't. Again, I, I, I think you're talking about access to the data that's in the data lake. I think, that's, I, think I do agree with you that security people want limited access. No, I've had to spin off like entire yeah, clusters with separate well, data sets. I know some of the security people you've worked with. Yeah. I understand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a lot of that. You just, yeah. You could have taken off the last few words of that. Yeah. yeah. Is it too late to make a 2023 reinvent prediction? No. <laughs> it's never it's too never early. Too, you mean or too, too early? late? Yeah. Too early. Is it too late? Yeah. Is it too late yeah. for next year's prediction? Is it too early? It's too late where I am. Uh, Next year, 2023, uh, Slipsky announces FinOps Lake. I mean, it would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. The, pivot uh, yeah. the pivot table? Get out. I mean, you technically already have that if you're just using BigQuery over in Google World but uh, and, and Google Sheets yeah. integration. So, yeah. Google Sheets. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, just clapping in the corner. Yeah, no Sorry. worries. Uh, so that's it uh, for Adam Slipsky's keynote. There was a couple other little announcements we didn't talk about because they we didn't think that you guys would be excited about them. Uh, particularly uh, something about supply chain. If you're a retailer who wants to somehow reason give Amazon all of your telemetry on your supply chain, because that's a good idea. Uh, you can do that. Uh, that's the new service. But uh, we didn't talk about that because it's not really it's not really a cloud thing. <laughs> but uh, it's nice to see them doing it. It was the closest thing we got to Ryan's prediction. Uh, for CRM, mm-hmm. but uh, not quite there, Ryan. Not quite there. 
Well, no, that was the the I was looking for the the salsa integration for you know software delivery supply chains, and I was so so excited because I was like, he's got to nail this. Nope. 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 Went hard left. This is just what they do to manage the own internal inventory for the the commerce site. What do they yeah. do? <laughs> Which I guess is all AWS is in general. So I can't complain too much. I have a funny story related to, to supply chain. Though. So I ordered something from from Target. Four four of the same item from Target. They would have fit in one small box the size of a shoebox. They shipped me four items in four boxes from four different depots. Mm. In boxes that are like a hundred <laughs> times too big, right? In, yeah. in boxes that were in absolutely yeah. honest, yeah. And I felt, I just, I mean, I felt like a bit of an asshole to the environment, basically, for, for having four different, I mean, one was UPS, one was FedEx, <laughs> one, was, one was the Postal oh, wow. Service. I mean, it's like, it's absolutely insane. <laughs> have you been waiting months and months to hire your new AWS, GCP, or Azure architect, only to have them be poached at the 11th hour by a startup with a juice bar? Initiatives stalled because you're having trouble hiring? Well, I have a simple solution, Foghorn Consulting. Foghorn Consulting provides top-notch cloud engineers to the world's most innovative companies and can be burning down your DevOps and cloud backlogs as soon as next week. Foghorn certified AWS, GCP, and Azure professionals are armed with infrastructure as code and from day one will be designing performant, optimized cloud-native or hybrid environments that deliver on the promise of cloud. Their FogOps solution even provides on-demand cloud engineering to augment your existing teams. Visit www.foghornconsulting.com or send an email to cloudtalentnow at foghornconsulting.com and tell them the CloudPod sent you. Your dedicated FogOps team is with you for the long haul and they bring their own juice. All right. Uh, so day two, there was other keynotes in breakout sessions. Uh, so a bunch of things in the AI space, including text track enhancements for loans. Which is hilarious because I was at a company where they were convinced they could do it better than Amazon could. Uh, nope, I think your product still hasn't shipped yet, mm-hmm. and Amazon's has. Uh, announcing real-time mm-hmm. capabilities in Amazon Transcribe Call Analytics, new search capabilities for Kendra, including being able to search HTML documents as well as expanded language support for semantic search. The Amazon Health Lake I just made fun of uh, got some new capabilities, including <laughs> the preview of Amazon Health Lake Imaging and Amazon Health Lake Analytics. And the Code Whisperer added enterprise administrative controls, simple sign-up, and support for new languages. Those new languages, uh, I'm not sure what those are, but oh, TypeScript and C Sharp to accelerate your code development. So your mm-hmm. .NET developers and your TypeScript developers now have ability to use Code Whisperer. Uh, so available to you now. Uh, it's also now available in the co- management console, which it was not previously. Uh, and now available for you there. So that was nice. Uh, there was a bunch of compute stuff th- as well. The new M6i, which is the Intel version of the M6 family, and the C6i, or the Intel version of the C6 family. Uh, new updates to those, taking advantage of that new 200 gigabits networking I talked about earlier. The Nitro Enclaves now support Amazon EKS and Kubernetes, uh, which I think was one of the last big areas that Nitro Enclaves had not quite got to. Um, so good to see if you want to do secure workloads inside of Kubernetes and guarantee the executables. That's now available to you in the Nitro Enclave. And the AWS Compute Optimizer now supports external metrics from Observably partners, including Datadog, Dynatrace, New Relic, etc. So you can now use those data points in your Compute Optimizer, not just memory and CPU, which uh, you know, can help you in the FinOps space as well, I think, Joe, on that one. But uh, it's a bit of a stretch. Yeah. I can't wait, though. One more metric to show that if you just turn this off, it would save money, and it's clearly not used, and they're going to argue about it being needed anyway. Yeah. Well, you know, it just it'll feed into the recommendations that are not helping you. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. 
it's even yeah. more opportunity. Yeah, yeah, more opportunity. So, so we spend two hundred thousand dollars a year on, on Datadog to, to, to save fifty dollars on, on a T three instance <laughs> that we can shut down. That's quite, quite a bargain. <laughs> but it is. It will be nice to actually make compute optimizer useful because just measuring CPU usage is, is absolutely yeah, pointless. One hundred percent. Other announcement it is logical, but. I, I just want to make a point of a, a good FinOps point on this one is that this is the first year I've seen. I always hear you. I've heard for years now. There's a oh, the recommendations don't really help you, but there's there's always more people excited about the recommendations. This is the first year that I heard pretty much across the board. Don't give me any more recommendations. They're not helping me. Um, <laughs> so it, it's kind of nice to see that like maturation of the uh, you know right sizing audience like. It's it's either you turn it off or we're not really going to bother. Yeah, because and then the reality is the amount of argument you do with your dev team or your performance team about why you don't it's it's just not worth it at the end of the day. Like you spend more time mm-hmm. arguing about it, and then as soon as you have a performance issue, they're like, "Well, see, see, it's because you cut that box down. That's why." So, mm-hmm. yep. Uh, other announcements again from day two uh, in the elastic load balancing capability that gave us a lot of uh, quality of life improvements as I like to call them the announcing preview for Amazon Route 53 application recovery controller zonal shift uh, which is a very complicated name for something that basically just says uh, you can now recover from gray failures <laughs> uh, application load balancer <laughs> cross zone off so you now no longer will ta- pay cross zone fees uh, if you know, you're waiting for a node to come back up in a specific zone uh, network load balancer, health check improvements have come finally, and ALB and NLB minimum healthy targets can now be configured to make sure you don't serve traffic till you have the minimum number of targets that are healthy for you, uh, which could end up in some herding storm problems, so be careful with that one. Uh, so that's nice, nice quality of life. Uh, I think I've had some of those problems in my bills many times. I think Ryan and I have fought this battle a couple times as well. Uh, this oh, yeah. is, these are all nice quality of life. I appreciate these. I, I like the cross zone off option for AOB and it, it, it actually implies why you need the recovery controller for Route 53 because if, if uh, yeah. one zone is no, not functional then you need to direct all that traffic to the working mm-hmm. zones. Mm-hmm. So they go yeah. hand in hand nicely. Uh, two security enhancements I've been wanting forever. First up, Amazon Inspector now scans AWS Lambda functions for vulnerabilities. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Have wanted this forever. And AWS KMS external key store now supports uh, third party key systems other than the HSM or the Cloud HSM uh, for the same price of your Cloud HSM. So you can pay for the managed service or you can use your own service and pay for that too, which is super helpful. Uh, But this was definitely (laughs) a use case I had in a prior life where we needed to maintain all of our own key logic. And while KMS was sort of a way to squint at it, and you could, like, yeah, we export our key from our on prem KMS and we put it up there, then it never really felt right and never was what we really wanted, which was that we wanted the ability to integrate with an external key store and get the benefits of our own of our metric appliance in this particular case, uh, but with advantage of the cloud. So this is a nice final compromise, even though it costs a ton of money. Yeah. It would have been so much better if they had this before they had all of their compliance and uh, regulatory certs. 100%. I think the, I think the target audience for, for a product like this is probably not going to care about it. No, they don't care. It's a rounding error for them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, on the storage side, lots of great new uh, Amazon FSx things. OpenZFS is now fully there. I think it was a preview before this, but now it's in general availability. Uh, Net- NetApp ONTAP FSx now gives you multi-AZ file systems from on-premise and peer networks. 
Uh, you also get maximum throughput capacity of SSD IOPS per file system of uh, going from 80,000 to 160,000 IOPS per second and 2 gigabits per second to 4 gigabits per second, which is nice. And then for those of you who've always complained about the performance of Elastic File System, they're giving you uh, 60% lower read operation latencies when working with frequently accessed data, metadata addition to 40% lower write operation latencies when working with small files, less than 64 kilobytes, and metadata together. This enables customers to power an even broader set of applications with simple scalable storage on AWS. Uh, which, you know, for those of you who've dealt with performance issues on EFS, that's uh, that's not too bad. And hopefully we'll solve some of your needs for provision throughput, which would be great. I, I actually think EFS is getting a little too good. I think it's going to, the, the fact that EFS performs as well it is, as it does is going to make people go back to the old style of application management where they're just going to store everything on file systems again instead of moving to an object store and, and treating everything like an isolated thing with metadata that it is. So I think... Well, it'll be interesting to see what it, if they increase the performance if we go back to like full directory scans and and all the different logic you know trees that you had to do for algorithms before. So we'll see. It's expensive though, so I think even it's if still you did, way more expensive. if they yeah. did use yeah. EFS, maybe, maybe there are customers who who did not want to migrate from on-prem to something that uses EFS because the performance wasn't quite there, but they were prepared to pay the cost. I'd like to think that they'll still be on the path to object store in the, in the end because it is pricey. It's still would, like 30 I would, cents I would, a gig, right? I would have preferred a 60% cost cut and, and live for the crappy performance. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> well, now they can just try to make the performance match the price. So it works. And that's yeah. it for day two. Uh, it takes us into Swami's keynote, which is the ML and AI keynote. A lot less AI, I thought, but uh, quite a bit of ML. Uh, Swami covered uh, the fact that apparently the AWS Machine Learning University uh, program that they built, it's a lot of training to train new uh, college graduates on all things ML and AI to get into the data science, which is one of the most in-demand uh, career areas. They've now enabled educators to enable it to be uh, now, these courses now to basically be creditable. So you can now use them to actually get your uh, degree, which is great. Uh, and they're actually particularly focusing on this at community college, minority serving institutions and historically black colleges and universities. Universities uh, to help teach the data analytics, AI, and ML concepts to build a diverse pipeline for in-demand jobs of today and tomorrow per the press release. So that's nice to see. I love it. Yeah, I wish, you know, if we think about how, you know, the evolution of DevOps over the last, you know, few decades, like if this kind of enablement was done, you know, 10, 20 years ago, like how much better the space would be. Now it's just, you know, a whole bunch of very diverse, you know, career stuff with various levels of sophistication. And you have no idea what you're going to get from one DevOps engineer to another. So I love anything that where they expose cloud native technologies at an earlier level and get more people that are better trained. It's awesome. For those of you with Jeep Wranglers at home, the Data Wrangler now gets you support for SaaS applications as data sources. Uh, that also supports Glue and AppFlow. Uh, they gave you eight new SageMaker capabilities, including ML governance tools for Amazon SageMaker. Uh, SageMaker model cards, SageMaker model dashboards, the next generation of SageMaker notebooks, which apparently is probably because uh, people got hacked off notebooks. So yeah, you know, next generation is always good if it's more secure. Oops. Uh, automated validation of new models using real-time inference requests, and preview of the SageMaker to build, train, and deploy ML models using geospatial data. 
if you're trying to do stuff with that. Uh, so I don't have anything to say about SageMaker other than just tell you what I just said. So we'll keep on moving. <laughs> <laughs> There's a five new database and analytics capabilities announced as well, including document DB elastic clusters. Again, I think this is not scaling to zero, <laughs> but it is a but you know, here elastic clusters. Again, we're not consistent in yeah, our naming yeah. whatsoever, but here you go. I'm good with this one. Again, they another shout yeah. out to open search serverless. Uh, Amazon Athena for Apache Spark. Uh, this one is cool. Amazon Athena, an interactive query service that helps query petabytes of data wherever it lives, now supports Apache Spark, a popular open source distributed processing system that is optimized for fast analytics workloads against data of any size. With Amazon Athena for Apache Spark, customers get the streamlined interactive serverless experience of Athena with Spark in just a sequel. So if you didn't like Presto, you can now use Spark uh, and have it managed. So that's nice. And then Glue Data Quality is now available to you, and Redshift now supports multi-AZ preview for the RA3 clusters. Uh, so that's a, quite a bit of things in the database analytics capabilities. Any comments there? I'm excited about the Spark and Athena, but that's just mostly because I hate <laughs> sure. SQL. So <laughs> it's all good. Sysops too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Amazon Guard Duty RDS protection now in preview. Uh, Amazon Guard Duty now offers threat detection for Amazon Aurora to identify prevent potential threats to data stored in Aurora databases after profiling and monitoring access actively to existing and new databases and tailoring machine learning models to accurately detect suspicious logins to Aurora databases, Amazon Graduate generates a security finding that includes database details and rich contextual information on suspicious activity. And all I could think when I saw this announcement was, oh, they're responding to the Wiz uh, threats. Because <laughs> Wiz keeps finding all these kind of <laughs> issues with cross-data uh, activity stuff that they wanted to prevent and detect. So nice to see them adding this capability in. I think this is just going to be, you know, this is fine. They're just throwing in the towel on, you know, developers opening up, you know, direct access to the database over yeah. public networks. I mean, it's probably not for public. <laughs> what's wrong? What's wrong with that? <laughs> it's probably not for public networks as much as it's like, hey, they got through all my defenses and now they're in my database. I'd like to know they're doing something weird. Yeah. Oh no, that's my point. Like developers open it up to public, mm-hmm. so it, you know, like it's just it, rather than you know making it private and isolating it the way that you should, they're just going to put a security service that will tell you when you've get. Um, we talked about a couple weeks ago on the show, Amazon Redshift supporting auto copy to S3. Uh, and you might have been saying to yourself, but what if I need to bring data back in from S3? Well, they now got you because they give you auto copy from Amazon S3 now. Uh, so if you are putting your data into S3 and you like to get into Redshift for data loads, that can now happen automatically. Again, another zero ETL capability. And then the last one in the space is Amazon Redshift data sharing now supports centralized access controls with AWS Lake Formation. If you're using Lake Formation, you know, get a much easier way to give data sharing access across organization and in organization, which is nice. So many opportunities for orchestration. Yeah. Moving data in and out of S3, keeping it, you know, in the in the Redshift cluster for for your only for as long as it need, you need to do your analysis and then getting it right back into S3. I kind of like this. And then also, there's probably a ton of opportunity for stuff that's already in S3 if you need to run a sophisticated analysis yep. on it. Now you don't have to do as nearly as much heavy. Uh, that was all in, in Swami's keynote, and this is when I knew that reInvent was going to be a long week. <laughs> if, I was, <laughs> if I was highly suspicious after Adam Slipsky, Swami's keynote made me really realize that was going to be the case. <laughs> Uh, going into the afternoon, though, on day three, there were some interesting things. Uh, introducing AWS AI Service Cards, which is a new resource to enhance transparency and advance responsible AI. Uh, this has been a big area Google and Microsoft are spending a lot of time and energy on, so I'm glad to see AWS spending the time this as well. Uh, and then an announcement that I cannot, make, I cannot believe didn't make main stage. Uh, Amazon Redshift announces support for dynamic data masking. 
Uh, that simplifies the process of protecting sensitive data in Amazon Redshift Data Warehouse. With DDM, customers control access to data through simple SQL-based masking policies that determine how Amazon Redshift returns sensitive data to the user query time. DDM makes it simple to adapt to changing privacy requirements without altering underlying data or updating SQL queries. And Justin from Reinforce three years ago is finally saying, finally, you gave me a DLP solution, <laughs> which I asked for three years ago at Reinforce. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and it's still not as full featured as we want, right? It's still only in Red Search or Redshift, and and only in the like. I still just want a tokenization service where I feed it my data set and it tokenizes mm-hmm. it on the fly. Still don't get it. New business idea. <laughs> Mm-hmm. First customer. Nice. Uh, if you wanted a way to make your new <laughs> Amazon Open Search server uh, get load tested, you can now put your Kinesis Data Firehose directly to your Amazon Open Search serverless, so you can have lots of pain trying to scale your Open Search cluster. Don't do it. I promise you, you will not. Re- you will not be happy with it. <laughs> you imagine? <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> no one ever do this. This is a, this will ruin your life. Not only will you cry operationally, you'll also cry in your fin up space too, because that's going to cost you a lot of money. <laughs> a lot of money. Let me tell you. Like just, just put your just you know just something simple like your guard your you know your guard uh, duty findings. Just send that to Kinesis streams and then send that to your open yeah. search search, and you'll be like, oh my god, oh. please make it stop. It's bleeding and I'm hurting. Yeah. Uh, ABC flow logs. There's there's certain days in a FinOps practitioner's life that they never forget. One of them is when guard duties turned on for the first time. Uh-huh. The other one's when Kinesis starts getting used. Yeah. For me, for me, for me, it's the day that you know one of your one of your top guys accidentally spent six hundred thousand dollars turning on uh, S three object lifecycle policies. But that's just me, just me personally. Do we do we have to keep bringing that up? Uh, I'm so glad that was an example about me. <laughs> Everyone's uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those. It was fine. We, it worked out fine. But it was a fun conversation for me and finance to talk about. Like, didn't get didn't fired. Get fired. Didn't get fired. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this announcement came out of a keynote, uh, not out of a keynote, but it should have been in a keynote. Once again, this is amazing. Amazon VPC Lattice. Amazon VPC Lattice is an application layer networking service that makes it simple to connect, secure, and monitor service-to-service communication. Customers can use VPC Lattice to enable cross-account, cross-VPC connectivity, and application layer load balancing for workloads in a consistent way, regardless of the underlying compute type. Instances, containers, and servers, serverless. Uh, where have you been all my life? This is what I wanted when Transit Gateway came to be. Uh, I don't know how much it's going to cost, though, because it is in preview, and they did not announce any preview pricing for it. Uh, but no. I suspect it's going to be a lot of money, because the amount of toil and energy that this eliminates from my life is worth a lot. It's probably not worth $25 a gigabyte, but uh, you know, for something reasonable, I could, I could be in love with this service. This could be my new favorite service. I'm not sure. We kind of said the same thing with Transit Gateway. Yeah. And I think Amazon has generally, right, has generally driven pricing off of their cost, not off of the value it delivers to the service. So there's a chance, depending on the implementation, that this isn't ridiculously expensive. Yeah. I mean, that's that's exactly what we said for Transit Gateway, was that, you know, there's no amount of money I wouldn't pay, which wasn't true. But, you know, you'd like to think that because the pain is so hard in trying to get these things to talk to each other. And then it was fairly reasonable price where I don't think it was that, you know, it, it wasn't free, but it's, it was still approachable and still worth it. I mean, they've, they've kind of standardized on the one cent per gig for, for things like private link and, um, you know, cross IC traffic and stuff like that. So I'd imagine it'll be a one cent per gig charge. But the question is, if I've got 200 microservices talking through it, am I also paying an hourly charge for each one attached to the network? 
or or what? Because that that would really be a deal breaker. Yeah. And the one cents across the transit gateway, and the one you know one cents across the you know egress yeah. for a little bit. Like mm-hmm. it does add up. Well, it'll be interesting to see because with uh, it's only in preview in Oregon right now. I was a little disappointed because I don't have anything working in Oregon, but the CloudPod website and it's just not big enough to need lattice. Uh, so I, <laughs> I don't think I can sign up for the pa- the preview for that. But uh, you know, I'm excited to see this kind of continue. I'll be keeping a close eye on it on the show because I think it'll be very cool. Uh, next up is a a little bit of a zero trust ish thing, sort of. I, I think Amazon's just tipping their toes to see what people say. But this is the AWS Verified Access Preview, a VPN less secure network access to corporate applications. AWS Verified Access is a new service that allows customers to deliver secure access to corporate applications without a VPN. Built using AWS Zero Trust guiding principles, AWS Verified Access helps you implement a work from anywhere model in a secure and scalable manner. I see Joe shaking his head, but he's he's not. I, I don't. I, I I can't wait. <laughs> I, I don't, Perfect. Uh, I don't. I, I don't see. I don't see it getting adopted. I mean, they've tried a couple of I've these many, many times. They've tried this a couple of times. I do hate VPNs, but this time they have partners. So that's always the you know it's always interesting as a partner pushing it versus them. But uh, you know this is going to be interesting to see because it's it's also got some pricing things that are kind of interesting to it. Uh, so there's a. a you know, price starting in the U.S. East region at twenty-seven cents per verified access endpoint per hour. Uh, that price does go down to twenty cents per endpoint per hour when you have more than two hundred applications. So you're paying on a per application basis. That's could get pricey. Uh, on top of this, there's a point uh, two cents per gigabyte data processed by verified access. So you're charged. You're paying for all the data uh, processed through it as well. So it could, you know, I. <laughs> there's some big props applications you can have on your network that you maybe don't want to have go through this thing. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, storage side, AWS announced Torn Write Prevention for EC2 IL or is it I4I instances, EBS and Amazon RDS. Uh, for those of you who don't know what Torn Write Prevention is, which I did not, it's a feature that ensures 16 kilobyte write operations are not torn in the event of operation system crashes or power loss during write transactions. Whew. Sounds sounds like a real problem for somebody, yeah. not me. But uh, <laughs> <I guess. laughs> and then there's a new Amazon S3 access point can now be used to securely delegate access permissions for shared data sets to other AWS accounts, um, which is also outside of the organization, which is nice. So if you have ability to share data, I'm sure this is part of the underlying technology that works that uh, clean room technology. So it makes sense that that exists. Hmm. Yeah, and that is it for day three. I've riveted you all. I can see the yawning. I can see. Woo-hoo! I can see that you guys are feeling just like we did on the live stream. <laughs> so at this moment, yeah. But we're yeah. almost there. We're on the home stretch, guys. We're we're here near the Warner. Crack open that Red Bull. The Warner keynote is up next. Uh, Warner can save us, right? That's that's the hope. Mm. I was on airplane home at this time. But wait, there's more. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Uh, so Werner uh, had an interesting talk once again this year. Uh, it was really a theme to it. Like I, I kind of tuned out at one point in the middle of it because I got bored. Uh, I also didn't live tweet this one, so I didn't have to pay as much attention to it because I was tired by Thursday. Uh, but you know, the thing he did announce, which I think is interesting, is the Amazon Code Catalyst Preview, a unified software development service. Uh, that enables software development teams to plan, develop, collaborate on, build, and deliver applications on AWS, reducing friction through the development lifecycle quickly and easily. Now, I hope it's just mostly a packaging, a refactoring of Code Nine and making it actually good, <laughs> but I don't really know. No, I, I suspect that this is going to be. Uh, I, 
it sounds like from a, or, or from the earlier years of documentation that this is the first true service that I think has a chance to automate me out of a job. I'm, and I'm super excited by it because I think it's it's more than just the IDE and the development lifecycle. It's it's creating your your documentation based on the code that you're committing, and it's creating your your build pipelines based on that. It's not just scaffolding or a repo structure um, or or a loose skeleton of putting all these things in there. It actually is the full end to end. You put in code here, it comes out on a server or a container on the other end, and including some of the, you know, including monitoring documentation and, and some of these other things that you need to have for a service. And so it could just be being stuck on steroids or it could be something really amazing. And so I can't wait to see, see more of it. Hogwash. <laughs> if, this, if this gets implemented, the, the industry will need more Ryan's, not less guaranteed. That's the way it always works. Just give you an idea. Some of the, yeah, it is not a knock on the product. Some of the challenges they're trying to address in this one, blueprints that set up projects, resources. So this is very much like an open search type technology. I want to create a .NET project. I want to create a a Java project. Gives you the scaffolding for that. Very similar to like a backstage, uh, open search, et cetera. (laughs) On-demand and cloud-based dev environments. This is the Code 9 capability to be able to actually do devving in the cloud. Issue management for enabling traces of changes across commits, pull requests, and deployments. This is GitHub type activity for issue management. Uh, automated build and release CI CD pipelines using flexible managed build infrastructure, dashboards to surface the feed of project activities such as commits, pull requests, test reporting, the ability to invite others to collaborate on projects with just an email, and unified search uh, all tied into one. So it is very ambitious. We'll like to see what the reality looks like through the process. Uh, the Step Functions Distributed Map, which is a new serverless solution for large-scale parallel data processing, uh, is coming. This flow extends uh, support for orchestrating large-scale parallel workloads, such as on-demand processing of semi-structured data, and a new create point-to-point integration between event producers, consumers, and Amazon event bridge pipes, which a lot of people seem to be excited about pipes. And then a low-code solution that I might actually like, Application Composer, in preview, helps developers simplify and accelerate architecting, configuring, and building serverless applications. Developers can drag, drop, and connect AWS services into an application architecture by using AWS Application Composer's browser-based Visual Canvas. AWS Application Composer helps developers focus on building by maintaining deployment-ready infrastructure as code definitions, complete with integration configurations for each service. Uh, so that one I'm still very curious about. It does look very no-code-y, but could be very cool all at the same time. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I'm excited by it, but I also feel dirty. Yeah. Because I was like, "Ooh, this is a logo thing. I kind of like it." And like, "Ooh, <laughs> why do I like it?" So, the uh, the CloudFormation Visual uh, Builder wasn't a great success. So I, I hope they no. learned some lessons from that and and um, done a better Hopefully. job this time. Yeah. And then uh, that was all for Warner's Key- keynote. Uh, there's a lot of other stuff. We'll talk more about his keynote next week because uh, there was a couple of blog posts he actually referenced in the keynote that we we've copied in for show note topics next week. We'll cover that out. Uh, so the last thing that was announced on day four was a game lift anywhere to run your game servers on your own infrastructure. We've talked about game server running for a while. Uh, this exists on GCP as well, and this is an AWS catching up GCP for a change. That doesn't happen very often, but uh, glad to see. If you're in the game industry, you can now run your game servers automatically. So you're welcome. Is this a multi-cloud play? Uh, maybe. I, I don't know. You know, like I wonder, because if you can run it on your own infrastructure, you can run it in Google and you can run it in Azure. All right, so that, that takes us through all of reInvent. Uh, and now it's time for the most important part, is who won the prediction show? <laughs> uh, oh, the most important part. You're saying, lightning I wonder round. why. Uh, so real quickly, uh, we'll go through this, and then we'll get to lightning round. Peter, uh, adding RDS to savings plan, swinging a mess. Sorry. That's adorable. 
That's adorable. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad other people outside of the, the, the FinOps, the yard are, are waiting for that, but that's never yeah. going to happen. Uh, <laughs> GPU for Fargate. Uh, that was a swing and a miss. Sorry, Peter. Ah, I was surprised by that one too. I'm surprised by that one. Uh, new MI6 X large instances. You did get new M6 instances, but you you're one with the joke pick from Rob as uh, your choice there, and that was that was a bad choice. Yeah, I think there was yeah. even an M6i. So like, close, so, so but close. Uh, no no cigar. Uh, I wanted new graviton <laughs> ARM based chips, and I got it with a three E. So that was my point. So happy with that. I did not get Cognito 2.0. I thought this was the year that, you know, the Octa breach and all that. This is the year they're going to finally fix Cognito. Big swing and a miss on my part. Uh, my third one was a meh conference with only niche announcements, nothing for general market and no additional cost savings for customers due to profitability needs of AWS. Sort of true, sort of all that. I would take this as a point if I didn't already have a really solid one and I had to argue for a tiebreaker, but <laughs> I don't need it. I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> Ryan, significant step flow increases. You didn't get that. You did not get a Salesforce killer for CRM maybe a year or two too soon. And you did not get Salsa. I was convinced you were going to get Salsa solution uh, with supply chain management. Right. I thought that was a swing that you would definitely get. And then Jonathan, uh, they did not announce an ARM chip factory. Unfortunately, that was your only selection because you did not you missed the draft. So sorry, you did not win either. So that's it. Uh, I win. I'll take it. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm going to take my win. I'm going to go home now and turn over the lightning round. Justin wins the cloud to Peter for 2022. All right. Well, Amazon Textract launches the ability to detect signatures on any document. Now, if you only detect that I signed all my documents Mickey Mouse, they'll be in really good shape. Mm-hmm. Mm. So work for doctor prescriptions, right? <laughs> I, nothing can detect a doctor prescription. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. AWS Secrets Manager now supports rotation of secrets as often as every four hours. Because I love being an incident bridge every four hours because someone turned this on and didn't tell me. Thank you. Oops. Mm-hmm. Amazon QuickSight adds line and marker customization options for line charts, small multiples for line bar and part charts, and the ever popular text box. Hey, man, the text box. Who didn't want a text box in a report? To actually like explain what the chart is, like the, who would have thought that, that would be a feature that I would want in a reporting solution? Wow, I I find it hilarious that it's how many years of QuickSight's been around and these very basic features are being added. Hey, hey, this is my gateway from Google Slides. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Amazon managed workflows for Apache Airflow MWAA. Now offers container queue and database metrics. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was shocked. I was like, what? You made, you're not going to make me write my own queue logic? Like, normally you make me write like in my input side and my output side of my producers and subscribers. I have to, re- I have to measure that myself. So now if you just bring that to MSK, Kinesis, and SQS, I'd be happy. So there you go. AWS Service Catalog now supports syncing products with infrastructure as code template files from GitHub, GitHub Enterprise, or the ever-popular Bitbucket. So if you've bought into the Service Catalog model, there's yet yet another way that your functionality will not be updated by whoever's in charge of creating the Service Catalog. I'd say this is probably their best chance of getting me to use Service Catalog because I don't actually have to go use the Service Catalog console. (laughs) I just live in GitHub where I'm happy in my happy place writing code, and I'm fine with that. So as long as I don't have to go into Service Catalog and do anything there, this might might fly. 
But it does enable PRs for service catalog functionality. So it's a way to do their job for them at least. So yeah, maybe this would work. <laughs> Amazon CloudFront launches continuous deployment support. <laughs> I can tell you the time I tried to continuously deploy with CloudFront and how I got a call from Amazon <laughs> about not breaking their CloudFront system anymore. So nice to see they finally support it, you know, multiple years mm-hmm. later. Uh, I always appreciate it. You're welcome. This honestly, this is a weird title for a for the product because really what it is 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 it's a canary support mm-hmm. for CloudFront traffic. Yeah, it's a weird uh, weird title for sure. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. So you can route a certain yeah. percentage of your traffic to the new configuration to validate it before you you ship over. And especially since it takes like you know seventy five minutes to do any simple CloudFront change. It would be nice to be able to test it before knowing that it's going to break everything and then be down yeah. for one hundred and fifty minutes for it to change it and change it back. That's super useful. Yeah. And for anyone in the healthcare and life sciences field who has any idea what omics data is, like genomics, yes, like X omics, like any omics, um, introducing Amazon omics. Now replace does it. not include does not include economics. That's a fin ah, Well done. Winner! Winner! I was, uh, I'm going with uh, the, you know, now taking the place of Sumerian, which was unfortunately killed, as the worst name product of all of Amazon products. So congratulations to Omex for the new gold standard for worst name product. As an economics major, that's the winner. Nice. Well done. Well done. Ooh. He's apparently listened to this part of the show before because he knew he knew exactly Natural, yeah. how to how to win that. It's well done. Yeah. <laughs> hit right into the nostalgia hit. Well, that is a, a fantastic recap for reInvent. Thank you, Joe, for coming and joining us. Uh, we appreciated your your insights into all things uh, FinOps and what's going on in reInvent world. Uh, where can they uh, check out your new podcast? I, I, I know it's been great. Oh my gosh, you should you should check out the podcast FinOps Pod anywhere where you like to listen to podcasts. Uh, you just add it right to your. Uh, how do you do that? Do you put the add the playlist. You put the cloud pod. You put the FinOps pod. Uh, you can do that. Go check it out. You can also find it on our website, finops.org. And speaking of conferences, if you like economics, uh, you'll have a lot more of that at our FinOps Foundation conference, FinOps X. It is in San Diego, and I looked it up because I just had it June twenty seventh through thirtieth. In San Diego, there is a uh, our version of replay. It'll be on an aircraft carrier in the bay, docked in the bay. It's going to be a great time talking about FinOps uh, with people who really care and are trying to drive this uh, topic forward. Are you going to try to poach away Skrillex? Because if it's a nice with that FinOps X for your replay <laughs> DJ, you know, just get some Skrillex in there. Maybe a little over the budget. We, I don't know. But uh. we, we, we're working on. Uh, uh, oh yeah, we, we're, we are working on our DJ. It's not going to be Skrillex. We are going to FinOps our contract with our DJ and it's going to be someone more economical and, and value-based. I got an iPod. <laughs> I have a busker here in town. I can recommend him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I, I'm definitely checking this out for, in next year. I think I'm going to make it out to the FinOps X Foundation uh, as a member of the FinOps Foundation. I, I do like to stay in touch with them, those guys on the FinOps Slack as well. Uh, and of course, Joe and all our other listeners who come from the FinOps Foundation, we always appreciate your perspective here at the CloudPod. And uh, you know what? That's that's the last event for 2022, guys. We have made it to the end of 2022. All the conferences are over. Uh, it was a meh year, I guess. But we'll we'll talk about more about the year and our, re- our yearly recap here in a couple of weeks as we're heading very quickly into our end of year 
look back at how we did in January with our crystal balls of what we think 2022 is going to happen. I haven't looked. I don't think we did well, <laughs> but no. I, I, I'm, I'm convinced. No. <laughs> uh, and we'll try to put our crystal balls together to see what's going on in the future. And we'll catch up next week with Google and Azure, who uh, actually pretty much checked out for most of reInvent. They were like, yeah, we just don't want to, we don't want to compete. Uh, so there wasn't a lot of stuff from them, but uh, we'll be back next week with a normal show covering all three of our major cloud providers, AWS, Azure, and GCP. And thank you once again, Joe, for joining us. Thanks, Peter, Peter, Ryan, and Jonathan. We'll see you guys next week in the cloud. Bye, everybody. See you later. Thanks, Joe. Bye, everybody. Thank you all. And that is The Week in Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel, go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign-up instructions. Mm-hmm.